Our Bible reading is gonna come from 2 Samuel. It's the story of David, kind of the peak of David's kingdom, and I invite you to read along with me as we read that section of scripture. 2 Samuel 2. After the king was settled in his palace, and the Lord had given him rest from all of the enemies around him, he said to Nathan the prophet, here I am living in a house of cedar, while the Lord, the ark of the God, remains in a tent. Nathan replied to the king, whatever you have in mind, go ahead and do it, for the Lord is with you. But that night the word of the Lord came to Nathan, saying, go and tell my servant David, this is what the Lord says, are you the one to build me a house to dwell in? I have not dwelt in a house from the day I brought the Israelites up out of Egypt to this day. I have been moving from place to place with a tent as my dwelling. Wherever I have moved with all the Israelites that I ever say to any one of their rulers whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, why have you now built me a house of cedar? Now then, tell my servant David, this is what the Lord Almighty says. I took you from the pasture, from tending the flock, and appointed you ruler over all of my people Israel. I have been with you wherever you have gone, and I have cut off all of your enemies before you. Now I will make your name great, like the names of the great men of the earth. And I will provide you a place for my people Israel and will plant them so that they will have a home of their own and no longer be disturbed. Wicked people will not oppress them anymore as they did from the beginning and have done since the time I appointed leaders over my people. I will also give you rest from all of your enemies. The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. And when your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he will be my son. When he does wrong, I will punish him with a rod by wicked men, with floggings inflicted by human hands. But my love will never be taken away from him, as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed from before you. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. This is the word of the Lord. Would you all pray with me? Heavenly Father, Lord, you are a good God. Lord, as we uh, continue to uh, go through this series, Trials of Trust, I pray you challenge us, you encourage us, Lord, that you draw us closer to you. Uh, we say this all in your son's precious name. Amen. My sermon notes are down there. I'm going to grab those real quick, and then we will get the message going. Sorry about that. Uh, I woke up at a brisk 2.30 uh, a.m. this morning, and I've been, and then I was up to about 5.30. So we are on adrenaline and coffee at this moment, uh, but I'm pretty sure the Holy Spirit's gonna take over from here, so we should be good to go. But I invite you guys uh, as we dive into this uh, section of scripture. So, a little uh, background. Uh, when AJ started writing this Trials of Trust sermon, uh, and I started reading through it, I was like, okay, I've got a pretty good grasp on it. But every week, as I've been leaning into these messages, it's getting harder for me. And at first, I wanted to throw AJ under the bus because that was easy, right? Uh, last week, talking about Abraham and his son, Isaac. But, but the more I reflected on it, the more time I spent in it, the more I realized why it was as challenging, why last week was, why this week is, why the series is, is because what we're really talking about is Christian worldview. 
What we're really talking about is how we see the world through the lens of Jesus. And it's in that worldview, it's in that understanding, that you have to go deep. And not that we try to stay surface level when we're talking about sermons here at church, but God calls his people, he calls us to go deep into how we see the rest of the world. And what we see within the world, and especially within the church, there are a bunch of, I'm in the wrong spot. Yeah, 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 there we go. <laughs> Sorry, the, the screen, anyway. Y'all at home saw it, the people in here, not. Regardless, uh, there are a bunch of different worldviews or perspectives of how we look at our Christian faith. It's the reason why we have so many different denominations out there, right? There's Catholic, Protestant, Orthodox, there's Baptist, and there's Presbyterian, there's Method, there are so many different types of perspectives on who God is. And the reason why we keep branching out into these different denominations is because we have different perspectives of what Jesus is calling his people to do, who the body of Christ, the church is, right? And so you get all these different varieties. Uh, and kind of a funny story, at least for me, when I was in seminary, my, uh, there was a class that we needed to take called Religious Bodies of America. And it was taught by Dr. Manteuffel. Dr. Manteuffel was old, uh, and I say that in the most lovingly way possible. He had been teaching at the seminary since the early 70s, and now we were in the late, two, well, early 2010. So 40 years he had been teaching this class, and he had taught the same class for 40 years, so much so, out of the same notebook, that you would get copies from classes that came before you that were copies of classes that came before them from the 70s. And he would teach out of the same book the same class of the different religious bodies that were out there, right? So you'd have to figure out what the difference between a Southern Baptist was from a Presbyterian, from a United Methodist, and it was essentially a class that was one giant spreadsheet, right? And so you had to memorize what each denomination thought about their perspective on communion or baptism or whatever else. Uh, and it was a class that was a chore, and generation after generation of seminary students would hope that Manteuffel would retire so someone else would teach this class. And so I was part of that generation and I actually hit it where she retired and the new professor who took it over was Dr. Manteuffel. And, uh, not Manteuffel, it was Dr. Akimoto. Awesome professor. Uh, and he looked and he said, guys, I'm, I'm not gonna teach this class anymore because you have something called Google. And if you ever wanna know what the United Methodists believe about baptism, you'll find it out 10 times faster than even what you would be able to do in your own memory bank. So he took that class and he changed it from a spreadsheet to understanding the different worldviews of how we look at our Christianity and our faith. And so that's what we're going to look at today to set up the trials of trust that God eventually is going to speak through David. All right. So first, starting off, uh, why, this comes from the Psalms, why, Lord, do you stand far off? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? In his arrogance, the wicked man hunts down the weak who are caught in the schemes he devises. He boasts about the cravings of his heart. He blesses the greedy and reviles the Lord. In his pride, the wicked man does not seek him. In all his thoughts, there is no room for God. His ways are always prosperous. Your laws are rejected by him. He sneers at all his enemies. This is from Psalm 10, essentially saying the world's a mess. Right, and, and we see this, we, we see it in the news, we see it in our families, we see it in our doctor's appointments, 
right? Psalm 10 starts off by saying, hey, there is some really broken stuff in the world, and there are broken people, there are sinful people that seem to be thriving because we live in a broken world. Now, now thank, thankfully, the psalm doesn't end there. It's not like, okay, that's the psalm, end of story. Instead, it goes on, but you, God, you see the trouble of the afflicted. You consider their grief, and you take it into hand. The victims commit themselves to you, and you are the helper of the fatherless. Break the arm of the wicked man. Call the evildoer to account for his wickedness that, you, that could not otherwise be found out. The Lord is king forever and ever. The nations will perish from his land. You, O Lord, hear the desire of the afflicted, and you encourage them, and you listen to their cry, defending the fatherless and the oppressed, so that the earthly mortals will never again strike terror. Right? The world is a mess, but, but we have a God who fights for his people. Right? And this is what you typically call a theology of survival. The world's broken. We all know it. And so God just wants us to survive until we take our last breath here and enter into eternity. And, and that's when things really get fixed. That's where things get good. That's where things get okay again. When I think about theology of survival, I think of the people who hold up signs at concerts, repent for the Lord is near type thing. I remember my wife and I uh, were in uh, uh, New Orleans and we were on the, the main drag, uh, hanging out with a good friend of mine who happens to be non-Christian. And there was a man with a giant cross in the middle of the street, yelling at people, repent, repent you evildoers, this broken world. Go figure, it didn't really connect my uh, friend to faith, right? Looking at that. But that's the mentality, right? The world is broken. We need to survive it. We need to find God. And yes, God will provide some protection. But at the end of the day, we are here to survive. Until we don't, death and taxes is coming for all of us. But then don't worry, God's going to put it back together again, right? So you have the theology of survival. But, But then there is another theology that is quite prevalent in our times. Praise the Lord. Blessed are those who fear the Lord, who find great delight in his commands. Their children will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches are in their houses, and their righteousness endures forever. Even in darkness, light dawns upon the upright. For those who are gracious and compassionate and righteous... God will come to those who are generous and lend freely, who conduct their affairs with justice. Surely the righteous will never be shaken. They will be remembered forever and ever. They will fear no bad news. Their hearts are steadfast, trusting in the Lord. Their hearts are secure. They have no fear. And in the end, they will look in triumph on their foes. Praise God! You want that blessing? Wealth and riches will be in their children's home. You just need to want it enough. Just need to pray hard enough. Just need to figure out the right code on the vending machine. It is a theology of personal victory. And I could come up with dozens of Bible verses. These are the pastors with their own TV shows, their own channels. This is a theology that God wants what you want. And your personal victory is what he's after. 
You just need to figure out the right code, right? The right way to work the system that God set up. And again, there's Bible verses that support it, but you gotta start picking and choosing and you you gotta kinda cut out certain Bible verses. Like when Jesus tells his disciples, I have lost control. It's probably healthy. Uh, Then he said to all of them, this is Jesus, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and daily follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. You have to really take away Jesus and and how he called his disciples to follow him if you want to have a theology of personal victory, a worldview that is all about you getting what you want. It's both the theology of survival and a theology of personal victory take true things but make them the entire story. And it's not the entire story that Jesus teaches his disciples to follow. Instead, oh, sorry, we'll we'll talk about how David uh, plays into this and it'll, it'll connect. All right, so back to our Old Testament reading today. David, outside of Jesus, the Bible gives him the most screen time, right? He has literal books that he wrote. He wrote over half the Psalms. Uh, First and second Samuel are all about David. And then there's first and second Chronicles that chronicle David's reign. And from a story perspective, it is fantastic. It's actually the archetype of a lot of modern day superheroes and a lot of modern day adventure stories. And I'll show you how that's gonna work in a second. But it starts off by God appointing David. So he, this is Samuel at the time, sent for David and had him brought in. And David was glowing with health and fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, rise up and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him, being David, in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. This is about as close to being a superhero as you get in the Bible. It's essentially like having ultimate luck, ultimate favor on your side. So everywhere David goes, things just turn out okay. Not always by his plans, mind you, and I'll explain that in a second. But David slain the giant Goliath. Why? Because he had God's favor. God's favor allowed him to do all the amazing stories that we then see David's life go through, right? And it is quite a life. You get the highs and you get the lows of what it looks like to follow God. And if you take out certain parts of David's story, you would either see a theology of survival or a theology of personal victory, right? Because he starts off as a singer, After he is anointed, he gets into King Saul's court. And David's got this great voice. And so the favor of the Lord comes upon David. And all of a sudden, he goes from being a shepherd to being the main musician within the king's court. And so he sings, and he gets to know the king, and he gets to know the king's son, Jonathan, who he becomes best friends with. But from there, he becomes the warrior. 
This is the story of David and Goliath, where Goliath, this mountain of a man, shows up with his army, the Philistines, and the Israelites are terrified. And every day, Goliath comes out and he challenges the people of God, send one of your best, see if he can take me. And the Israelites are terrified, but, but the favor of the Lord is on David. And he looks down and he goes, dude, that guy's got nothing on me. He's got nothing on my God. And so he goes and he fights and he kills David, or he kills Goliath. He turns the tide of war, and then from there he becomes a general in the army. And again, it says, the favor of the Lord was upon David. And so he wins every war, every battle he goes up against. Problem is, the current king doesn't like all the accolades he's getting. There was actually a song that was sung. King Saul has killed by the thousands. David kills by the tens of thousands. And, and Saul wasn't on board with that. So what does he do? He decides he's going to have David killed. He goes into these mad tyrant sprees over and over again, trying to kill David until eventually David gets exiled. And he goes from this favored son to living off the land, being hunted. One of the most unique turns of the story, he goes and lives with the Philistines. That's how bad it is. And how he lives there is he pretends like he's crazy. This is a true story. This is in scripture. He acts like a madman so they just leave him alone. All right? But eventually, he actually becomes an outlaw. He gets this group of bandits, these other exiles, and then he kind of runs this little outlaw gang, and he goes around and he starts fighting the Philistines as an outlaw, and, and then he eventually becomes king. I mean, this is a story arc right here, right? This is the story arc. Magical powers, the ups, the downs, the lefts, the rights. And it's at the end of this story arc, David is king, he builds this massive palace, and he's, he's, he's a God follower, he believes in God. And he's like, dude, I've got this huge house, God's still living in the tabernacle, a literal tent. We've we got to build him something better. And God says, David, that, that's not your role. I don't need you to build me a house. But he does make promises to David, and that's where our scripture reading came in today. Now I will make your name great, God says to David, like the names of the greatest men on earth, and I will provide a place for my people Israel and will plant them so that they have a home of their own and no longer be disturbed. Wicked people will not oppress them anymore as they did at the beginning and have done ever since. The time I have appointed leaders over my people Israel. I will give you rest from all of your enemies. God makes this promise. And at first glance, it looks like a personal victory promise. But, but do you notice what the promise is attached to? And I will provide a place for my people Israel. And I will plant them so that they, multiple here, can have a home of their own and no longer be disturbed. Wicked people will oppress them anymore as they did at the beginning and have done ever since the time I appointed leaders over my people, Israel. God directly ties the blessings of David to the blessings of his people. The story of David is not one of personal victory. That's not the point. The point is the kingdom of God 
and what the kingdom looks like and blessing David to bless the kingdom, which then connects directly into the story of Jesus and what Jesus is doing. He teaches his followers. We pray this every week. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's the prayer, not God, give me a bigger house, a better job. God, make my kids do better in sports or get better grades. And those things aren't bad, but that's not the prayer. The prayer is your kingdom come, your will be done here on earth, your reign, biblical outcomes in my family, but in my community and in the world. the theology of God's kingdom. It's looking at the world through the lens of what God is trying to do throughout all of Scripture. We talked about it last week, it's having that key of the Bible, how we look at it. Scripture tells the story of God's plan to rescue and restore a broken world. But see, this is how the kingdom of God plays in your life then. We each have a part to play in it. Yes, it's his kingdom come, his will be done. But then he calls each of us uniquely to be a part of what he is trying to do. And so we take the blessings that he gives us, we take the opportunities that he gives us, and we leverage them for the kingdom. We leverage them for good. We leverage to have the same kind of impact he had to restore and rescue a broken world. And we go as his kids to restore a broken world. That's why when we talk about revisiting and reaffirming our vision as a church to equip, to send, and to bless, that's what we do. That's our heart. Equip you to be more like Jesus, to have the tools and the resources and the worldview to see the world to send you, to know that wherever you go, you are called to be a part of that story. That you can be a blessing. And then as you're being a blessing, what you will realize is you are woefully unequipped, as all of us are, pastor included. You get in the world and you realize this place is a mess. This place is broken. Yes, yes it is. But guess what? We have a God who comes in to equip us again, that we can be better prepared to be a part of the kingdom to be sent and to be blessed and to continue over and over and over again, not out of our own personal victory, not because we're just trying to survive, but because we believe our God is up to something. Something good, something beautiful, something powerful. And we get to be a part of it. And, and if that was the end of the story, if we ended right here, that would be okay. But the only limitation with that is if we're talking about God's grand plan, right? That spans millennia that has billions of people involved with it, then at the end of the day, we're just one little cog in this giant thing. You're not one little cog. I'm not one little cog. Instead, the story of Scripture says things like this. See how great the Father has lavished, see what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. You're not a cog in God's plan to save the world. You are his child, designed by him, 
uniquely placed here. And when you call out to him because when you're scared or when you shout out because something good has happened, he is your father and he wants to be a part of your life. Yes, we are a part of God's kingdom come. Yes, we are a part of that plan, but we are a part of that plan as his kids. Uniquely designed. And and our Father is is for you. This is huge, guys. Because as long as you know that your Father is for you, that our Father is for you, and and he's for your neighbor, and and he's for the person sitting next to you at church, or driving too slow in front of you down the highway, (laughs) it it changes your perspective. You know, we we, we kicked off today by asking the question, you know, who's your favorite musician or band? Uh, And I I do like the hit points. They're awesome, especially if you're nerdy. Just go listen to them. It's going to be old Super Mario stuff. It's great. Uh, But but my favorite band to go and see is a guy named John Craigie. He's a a folk song artist. Uh, Met him up in Madison. Just a cool guy. And he tells stories. That's almost all of his songs are storytellers. Uh, And there's one song in particular I want to read to you guys. Uh, It's called Dissect the Bird, but the the chorus has a line that says, it's a miracle that you are here. I'm going to read this entire bridge to you. because, Because it's true. So when, the candle flickle, so when the candle flickers and when the word world gets dark, they call them first world problems, but they still break your heart. If it ever feels like our Father is against you, just take a moment to realize all it took to make you. Your parents had to meet, as random as that was, and hang out long enough to make some love, and make a baby. They had to give it your name, And all of their ancestors had to do the same, exponentially backwards to the start of life. Everything had to happen just exactly right. Sparks had to catch, and oceans had to freeze. Billions of cells had to survive endless disease. Civilizations had to crumble, and wars had to be fought. Bad presidents had to get elected, and good presidents had to get shot. People had to leave and hearts had to be broken. People had to die just so your eyes could open. Our Father is not against you. Our Father is not against you. He went through a lot just to give you a chance. He must have wanted you pretty bad. But no pressure, though. No pressure, though. Our Father went through a lot, but no pressure, bro. You're not going to be perfect. And you don't have to be a saint. Just don't waste it because you're not a mistake. Our Father went through a lot to see every single person in this room, every single person on the live stream. It all had to happen exactly right for you to be here. Think about exponentially backwards to Adam and Eve just so you could be here because it's a miracle that you're here. And it's intentional that you're here. And not only are you here, not only are you made, but you were made with purpose to be a part of that kingdom, to be a part of that good thing that Jesus started. 
because he was the one who started the wheel of equipping, sending, and blessing. He was sent to be a blessing. He started equipping people, and then he takes his disciples, and he says, now you go do the same thing. You go share my love and my forgiveness and my compassion and bring more people into that cycle that more can know that the, the God they have and the Father who loves them. And y'all, that is good news. And that is a worldview that can encompass all of Scripture when things are going rough, when the candle flickers, and when things are just absolutely going rock star. There is a God and a Father who is for you and is sending you to be a part of what he's doing in the rest of the world. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are good. You have a plan. And we get to be a part of that plan. We get to be a part of this miracle of life that took a ton to go right just to be in this room. And yet, Father, we're not a miracle for our own sake. We're a miracle for your kingdom's sake. And I pray that you give us that foundation, that worldview, that truth, that whatever you give us, whatever blessings come our way, whatever opportunities, whatever experiences, Lord, that we can be bold to leverage them for what you are doing in this world. We say this all in your son's precious name. Amen. We continue our worship with song.